Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. Hello, Living Church podcast listeners. If you can bear with me today, I'm going to start with a confession. Small groups. When it comes to small groups, I am terrible at them. Look, it's hard for me to join one. It's hard for me to commit. I have been in turns skeptical, flaky, leadership avoidant, sharing avoidant, prayer request time avoidant. If you have me in your small group, God bless you. I get all I need at church on Sunday morning. Thank you very much. Except, I know that I don't. This is a growth edge for a lot of us, it turns out, even those committed to the church and even committed to leadership. And maybe especially for those of us in liturgical contexts, we may be tempted to think that the gorgeous production on Sunday, the spread of the table, and maybe some volunteer work thrown in there is all we need for spiritual flourishing. And it ain't nothing. But all Christians need community, and whether small groups particularly work for us or not, we have to seek out and stick with others who walk with us along the path, turning the wedding feast of Sunday into the marriage of the everyday habits and transformations that are the Christian life. Now, the good news is small groups are a time-tested way of building that community, and they're seeing something of a revival in recent days— And as I learned in the conversation we're about to hear today, they are incredibly adaptable to different churches and cultures. The 90s called and they want their small groups back. No, that's not the way it needs to be. Today, we're going to talk to two people who have successfully implemented small group ministries in their very different church contexts and hear how small group ministry can be done and what it contributes particularly to Anglican and Episcopal contexts. Also, how small groups relate to church growth, and this is a big one. How to avoid cliques in small parishes and disconnection in larger ones, and other expert advice on leading and implementing this model of discipleship in your parish. Our guests today are Brooke Holt and the Reverend Canon Robert Sihubwa. 
Brooke is a lay leader at St. John the Divine in Houston, Texas, and executive director of Bible Study Media, a small group curriculum company. Her passion is teaching God's word and equipping believers to build the kingdom. She also ministers through healing prayer and holy yoga. She has seen small groups transform community in her parish, even during the pandemic. Father Robert is rector of St. Peter's Anglican Church in Lusaka, Zambia. He also serves as the Anglican province of Central Africa's youth and children ministry leader. He is a preacher, evangelist, and Christian educator, and he hosts a radio show on Radio Christian Voice, an independent station in Lusaka. He also leads the discipleship and missions team for the Anglican Communion, part of a global Facebook group called Jesus Shaped Life, and he has used small groups to support other discipleship efforts in his parish, growing from 200 average Sunday attendants to over 1,000 in a few years. Now, you'll hear both Brooke and Father Robert mention some great small group resources for liturgical churches at the end of our conversation today. We'll include links to those resources in the show notes, so don't worry. Don't try to write them down while you're driving. From wherever you're listening, car or otherwise, we hope you enjoy the conversation today. Thank you so much, Brooke and Father Robert, for being here today with The Living Church. It's a pleasure, and thank you for giving us this wonderful opportunity to share. I want to start off with a more personal question. Can each of you briefly describe what life is like where you are right now? What is life like in Lusaka and Houston, and is what's going on reflected in your churches? So basically, in other words, would you say that life and ministry are quote-unquote back to normal where you are? What do things look like? Let me start maybe with Lusaka. Yeah. Uh, it depends, as we said, what you mean by normal. Uh, if normal is to meet for church services physically, we are not yet back. So we had uh, come back to meet together physically, but now, again, we had to close down because the COVID cases were increasing. So we're now doing uh, services online. We have maintained the schedule of services and the duration, except it is online. And we allow a few people to come into the building because there are some people who just say, I have to come to church. COVID or not COVID, I'm coming. So we leave some room for some people who come and join in online. And by and large, we are masking up in the whole country. There's issues of social distancing. And at least now the... COVID jobs have come. I've taken two of mine, so I have my certificate. And so we are not fully back to what we used to see as life then. Goodness. Well, that puts my life into perspective a great deal. I mean, I kind of laugh when people use the word normal because I don't think we're ever going to go back to normal. In fact, what I talk about is a new normal. We have a new perspective, a new way of doing life. But when I hear that, I would say, yes, here in Houston, um, we are getting back. We're worshiping together. We're not wearing masks. I mean, that's not mandated. People who are not vaccinated still do wear masks. We can actually sing, which is, oh my goodness, glorious. Um, you know, everything in Houston has been open for a really good while now. And so, you know, we have this new Delta variant, which is 
certainly throwing a kink into things. It's creating back that fear and that anxiety. And, and you know, again, you're seeing more masks. But I would say compared to what you're saying, Father Robert, it feels pretty normal here in Houston in the sense that we are back in church and schools are starting again. And and again, masks aren't all over anymore like they once were. Now, when I think of small groups, I think of large churches. These are just the first things that come to my mind. I think of large churches in which the group leaders are having to do some work on behalf of the pastoral staff because there are just too many people for the pastoral staff to visit everyone and be discipling everyone personally. So I think of large churches, but I also think of evangelical churches who have been big on small group ministry for several decades. And I'll tell you, thinking about the the 70s, the 80s, when exactly did small group ministry, especially in evangelical churches, become popular? So I did a little digging. I did a little research. And if you think about the small group model more broadly, people, of course, have been meeting in smaller groups outside of gathered worship for a long time in a variety of cultures and contexts. So for example, I found an article on the Christianity Today website by a woman named Diana Bennett, and she writes about Puritans holding small groups, and they would meet for five reasons. First of all, to let Christians more easily express more easily express love for one another, also so they could exercise earnest prayer for the church, so that they could exhort and teach one another, and interestingly, so that they could be providing emotional support to each other. And then finally, and, and this one is very interesting, they Puritans had small groups to support people with, quote unquote, who were fallen with a spirit of meekness. So in other words, people who were too shy to participate in the larger group and to pray and exercise their gifts in the larger group, but would feel more comfortable doing so in a small group. Now, Puritans were not the only ones holding small groups, even at this point in history, I'm sure. So now let's move forward. The 21st century, Brooke and Father Robert, how did you get started in small group leadership? When did small groups first come onto your radar as a ministry that you wanted to nurture? Yeah, I can start. She froze a bit. Um, So small group ministry has been part of my life. Um, since I came to the Lord. I actually really came to the Lord at a Christian camp back summer after fifth grade. And one of the things that they did and made a huge impression upon me is we always had these teachings that were in larger groups, but then we had our little cabins where we broke apart and we discussed the teaching and gave each person a chance to participate and understand and ask questions and, and that was really where I came out. I didn't really understand faith a whole lot. And, you know, and I could be very animated and I could just really delve in and be a part of the, the conversation in those small groups. And so that was just part of my very foundation. And then the other thing with me is that I'm so relational. I mean, I, I really love big groups of people, but I always like to find my small group in a large group of people. I want quality conversation. I want to feel like I'm connecting. I want to I want to feel like I have just genuine relationship. And so small groups have always been something that just naturally flowed from me. When I was in college, I created small group ministry in my um, 
sorority house. I just created Bible studies where, again, it was smaller groups of people meeting, discussing the scriptures, just really talking about how faith applied to life. And then, lo and behold, I ended up marrying a man who um, had his whole life in ministry shaped by small group ministry and church um, in his college experience as well. So because we've been in ministry together now for, my goodness, 20, 26 years, I think. It's, it's just been a, it's been a part of my life and my ministry since, since day one, I guess. From my experience, I think I, I should say I basically stumbled onto small groups. Because growing up in the Anglican church those days, there was not much emphasis about small groups as long as you go to church. Uh, a few of the older people's groups, like the Mother's Union, the Men's Guild, will gather in their own groups according to gender. But even if they are 100, they'll still meet as 100. So the thought about small groups wasn't so heavy. But uh, after I got ordained into ministry, um, I began to realize that it was not very easy to keep the memory of everyone in the church and to also be able to meet everyone's needs. So I stumbled onto small groups because of the desire to meet the needs of the members of the church. Yeah, so we have two types of small groups here at St. Peter's. One of them is what I would call the time-bound small group that produces life-lasting relationships, but it's time-bound. So this one takes place around what we call our discipleship course. So we have a four-module discipleship course, and each module takes about eight weeks. So people are put into small groups of 20, and they'll stay together for that period. And so afterwards, relationships we have seen are beginning to grow. Then there's another type of small groups we have that is in the ongoing life of the parish that meets twice every month. So those ones are for Bible studies that are designed by the parish, uh, and so they do twice every month. And so that need to, to maintain the growth of the church but also to see how much we can reach out to the people uh, is what motivated, I think, our moving into the direction of the small groups ministry. And it's been quite a wonderful thing now, so far. Yes. Yeah. Can I just ask, who has, the, who has the beautiful music in the background? Oh, it's interfering. It must be... It must be me. And, and, no, it is a choir. It's a choir. They're supposed to do their rehearsal. So the, the music we're hearing in the background where Father Robert is, this is choir rehearsal happening at his that. parish in the background. So we're, we're lucky enough to get the choir rehearsal as well. What I've heard from both of you is that small groups, both of you came to small group ministry and were attracted to small group ministry because of relationships and your need for relationships and also pastoral care, but relationships being related to growth and maturity. I just want to suggest that for anyone who is listening right now who thinks I am not in a context where I could tell my parishioners, "Hey, look, you need to grow up or get out. You need to you need to become a mature disciple of Christ and actually able to minister or we need to have a conversation." Um maybe that won't work for every context and I'm sure Father Robert didn't say grow up or get out. But I think it could be worth considering how to pose 
a challenge to people, even in the midst of um, this time of crisis, this time when there's a real need for healing, and in some ways, honestly, a real need for rest, how even in that moment can we say, this is still a time to grow? This is still a time to mature. Um, And in a way, not to let ourselves and our own discipleship or the discipleship of our people, for those who want it, not let it off the hook to say you're here and we want you to grow and we want you to be able to be conduits of the power and the love of Christ during this time, maybe especially during these times. Now, Brooke, you are involved in publishing small group curricula for many different denominations it could apply to, but you are an Episcopalian. And Father Robert, you contributed to a series for the Episcopal Church on resources for creating an intentional small group ministry in your congregation. My question now is, why are small groups good specifically for liturgical traditions, for Episcopalians or Anglicans in particular? What do they bring to the table in our tradition? How do small groups shape people's ability to understand what it is to be an Anglican Christian or an Episcopalian and to grow in Christ in our context? In other words, how would you sell this to someone who has never done small groups in this context before? And they say, we've got the prayer book. We've got the liturgy. Why do we need small groups as an Anglican? Uh, From our context, um, we have understood Anglican to be quite a small number church. So in our context, um, if an Anglican church is about 300, 350, it's a very big church. So usually it's about 120 and coming down. So looking at that, it seems that Anglican church is designed around family networks and the small membership itself. Because most of our membership that we have, you will notice one person is connected to another person, another person, another person. It's largely a family-driven church. So I want to believe that even that setup itself is a small group in itself, except it has not maybe been made to flourish to become what it is supposed to be. So in promoting small groups, we are trying to avoid closing in the church, that we become too familiar with each other and we leave no room for new people to join in. Because when we began to grow at St. Peter's, one of the key things I, I always got in t- uh, uh, came across was it is very difficult to join an Anglican church from outside. And when I asked why, people would say everything is set up in the Anglican church. The prayer book is there. The hymn books are there. And it seems that everyone who is there knows everything. They can pray from their hearts. They can sing from their hearts. And when you're a new person, you look like you're out of place because you don't know why they are standing, why they are kneeling down, why they are sitting now, why they are making the sign of the cross. So people are saying it is very difficult to join an Anglican church. It's like a closed group. So you have to really be determined to sit there and connect with it. And so we are saying that even as we are oriented around family, we need to be very careful that this connectedness does not become a hindrance to the growth of the church. So we need to open up. And therefore, in terms of small groups, in essence, as Anglican, we have already been in, a, in small groups ourselves as Anglican, except we just need to add this perspective to it to make these small groups intentional and to begin to grow. That Jesus Christ largely uh, used small groups. And because of that, his ministry 2,000 years later still has impact today. And when you look at the Gospels, 
He had small groups of three, 12, 72, 120. And also when you look at the first church in the book of Acts chapter 2, they also modeled themselves around small groups, meeting in houses, doing Bible study, breaking bread, meeting the needs of the people. And the results were that they began to grow in spreading the gospel. So the real motivation must be if we need to spread the gospel, small groups are one of the good models to use. Mm -hmm. So in other words, as human beings, we naturally gather together with people that we are related to, people we have things in common with, people that we like. But what a small group can do is both confirm those natural bonds, but also move out the purpose of of gathering together and loving one another into reaching out to others who are not already part of the group. So this reminds me also of just a good family model, that the purpose of a Christian family is for hospitality, is to welcome people into the home, to welcome the poor and the stranger, figuring out who they are and not just to protect one's own, um, one's own family unit. Dear podcast listener, are you also a preacher? Then listen up. The Living Church wants to give you a free month of our weekly digital sermon prep toolkit, The Living Word Plus. Just click the link in the show notes to sign up and use the coupon code LISTENUP to get the first month of your subscription for free. Subscriptions are month by month, so you can cancel anytime. If you haven't tried it yet, The Living Word Plus is chock full of food for thought for Sunday's upcoming sermon with articles, sermons, and classic texts all related to the lectionary readings for the coming Sunday. It's curated by Living Church editors just for liturgical preachers and teachers. Again, podcast listeners get the first month free. Click the link in the show notes and use the coupon code LISTENUP at checkout. Brooke, how would you sell a small group model to someone who's never done this in in an Anglican context before? Well, I so appreciate what um, Father Robert said, I, I love that. I, I'll take it. I have two perspectives that I'd love to add. And I, I like the way that you phrased that question. How would I sell it? Well, part of, we um, started Bible study media really with the intention of helping Episcopal churches, helping lectionary-based churches incorporate small group ministry. And so what we did is that we've made our curriculum so it's lectionary-based. And, and what I find with, um, with all churches, it's not, it's not just the main line, it's not just Anglican or Episcopal, but, you know, we go to church on Sunday and we hear the scripture and we might hear a great sermon and, and we take it in and hopefully there's an application, but that might be where it ends. Sermons and small groups and daily readings all align together and they just take it so much deeper. And then you have the conversation where you're connecting and you're really learning from each other and sharing your hearts and building these authentic relationships that are gospel-based. And then you add on the layer of actually praying for one another, supporting one another, exhorting one another in the faith. And I think that you just have this winning model for how do we faithfully grow the church? And I think one of the things too Amber, reflecting back on what you said of the history of small groups, if you look at the mainline church in America, we're dying. 
We are not effectively doing what Father Robert's talking about, of building the church, spreading the gospel, making disciples. By and large, we were dwindling. And so I spent hours researching the 100 largest churches in America and then the 10 fastest growing churches in America. And I looked at what it was that was setting them apart. Do you know that out of every single one of them, there was a um, huge emphasis on small group ministry. And, and there was one of it was called two or three of the churches had more of like a, what they would call a life group model. But the emphasis was on small group ministry because they know that that place is so essential to growing the church that you have to have these relationships really of being known and knowing and, and being in relationship and those carry over into the larger church. And then it also makes it a community, as Father Robert was saying, that you can so easily invite people into, invite them into that communion, invite them into that fellowship. Yes, because we, we're always, as Christians, wanting to invite people into something that we believe in and that we know has life. Um, that we can say, where else would I go? You know, I'm the word of life is here. Where else shall I go? Um, and and inviting people into something that is alive and that's beautiful. And I know I use the word sell, but at a certain point when you invite someone to something and they know and they feel and they sense that something special is happening here, that they're meeting God there, there's not much you have left to sell. <laughs> it sort of sells itself. I wonder if each of you could share one story that illustrates how you've seen God use small group ministry in your Anglican context. Oh, I love to do that. I mean, I can give you a million stories, but my favorite. So here at St. John the Divine, when we came into the church, they had had a history of doing some small group, but they hadn't had the history of, of the curriculum that provided continuity and guidance in the small groups. Well, so small groups started to meet and they did the Lenten study called the Crucified Life. And it was unbelievable. There was one group and that was a neighborhood of people who belonged to the church. And truthfully, they would all tell you that they were pretty fringe members. They weren't real engaged. They kind of came on Sundays. If they missed a few Sundays, that would be okay. Well, these it was about 12 to 14 of them that started to meet together and they did the crucified life and they found just incredible relationship. And then they did the resurrected life and then they did the spirit filled life. Okay. This group is still meeting and they have grown and they have dinner every week and study every week. And they have completely moved from being what they would have called fringe people to some of the most engaged, committed people in our church. They are passionate for the Lord. They are passionate about their faith. But it's because individuals had their lives completely changed. And then a community had their lives changed as well together. And they went deeper. They came to understand their faith. And now they're living out of that new faith. Wow. That is beautiful. Father Robert, what have you seen in your context yeah, in a general sense, we have seen that relationships have thrived. There is more concern for each other and there is more care for each other. So I don't have to be the only one to call people to say, I didn't see you at church on Sunday. But people call each other and check on each other. But what happened in one of the small groups, there's an elderly lady who is in her late 60s, going closer to 70 now. 
after she joined the small group, she began to say, I have seen Jesus Christ closer to me like a friend than before. And this is someone who has been in church for over 30 years. And she was saying that, uh, why didn't we begin the small groups way earlier? Because I felt like I came to church, I would go through all the liturgy, but now that I can sit down and analyze what I learn in church, ask questions, and no one will judge me to think I'm asking wicked questions. I can argue and debate, debate my understanding. I feel that Jesus is closer to me. So when she shifted from one of her locations, she went into a farming community where she's staying now. She began to evangelize and has been bringing to church about 16 people on Sundays before we closed down because of the COVID. So this is a person who has had never evangelized and has been in church for over 30 years, attends a small group meeting for about six months and begins to be a very um, um, an amazing evangelist and brings people to Jesus Christ. Something is happening in worship, in gathered worship at the Eucharist that is so profound and so big and so beautiful and in some ways so hidden that it takes a different space and it takes everyday time to unpack and to really understand and reap the fruits of what has happened on a Sunday. It may be in a similar way that a wedding is is the joining of the bride and groom, but really the everyday marriage is the joining of, of the bride and groom. I'm wondering... It's a great analogy, actually. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now, you've both mentioned structure as a key to seeing small groups thrive. Brooke, you have mentioned curriculum several times. Father Robert, you've mentioned the structure that your church has put in place. You have intentional ways of meeting. And I'm wondering about, for the leaders who are listening out there interested in either starting a small group ministry for the first time, or who maybe have had a small group ministry in the past that has floundered or is currently floundering, and they're wanting to restart it up, how would you, first of all, define the success of a small group? But then secondly, and most importantly, what are some of the keys to starting and maintaining a good small group ministry? To me, a successful small group is a small group where people have come authentically to meet with the Lord and with each other. I mean, it, it just, that's what it's all about for me. And, and the fundamental things for starting it, you know, I, we love to talk about with Bible study media is that you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a scholar to be a small group leader. What you really have to do is just have the gift of hospitality. And that can be pretty simple. And it's okay to have questions that the small group leader doesn't know how to answer. That's something that they can dig in together. They can take to their priest or their pastor or uh, whatever. Um, it's not about having all the answers. It's really just about setting up a place where it's safe to do community together. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, I would say uh, in terms of um, numerical growth, you would say the success of a small group, if you are introducing small groups in a church that did not have it, your success will be at the percentage of people participating in small groups. Because in most Anglican settings, when you come with small groups, maybe 5%, 10%. So the percentage of participation is one of the things that has to be looked at. 
but also among the key things with small groups, I see them as a success depending on the level of conversation that is going on in the small group. If a small group has only one person talking or three people out of 12 people, then the success rate is not really good. But it must come to a point where the conversation opens up and people talk as much as they can. Because we need to be careful that you don't model a small group at the setup of a church, that we need to do this song, we must pray here, we must do this, we must do it, we must do that. In a small group, you can, structure is important, but you, you're not stuck to structure. If one question seems to be lingering a little bit longer, hang on on that question. So we mustn't be in a hurry to finish the Bible study guide. We must focus on the building of relationships around the Bible study guide. So the end goal must be how much are we expressing ourselves? How much are we understanding what we are studying? How many questions do we have? But also you need to have creative leadership that is tolerant. Uh, the leadership must be creative and be a bit more flexible and tolerate some of the views that may be completely away from the, what people call orthodox views and find a way to bring them back into the place of good understanding. So a small group leader, when you're assigning people as small group leaders in your parish, it's important not that you have somebody that has a PhD in theology, but someone who has discernment, someone who has a spiritual maturity and a wisdom enough that they can say, uh, this conversation is going off track, let's lead it back around. So having people and leaders who can recognize when to put things aside when to direct things to people with um, people with good discernment. I think that's a I think that's a great guidance for folks who are who are running small groups um, and also who are putting small group leaders in place. So I wonder now if you could both share how you might have seen small groups function differently, either in different cultural contexts or even in how have you seen small groups function differently in large parishes versus small parishes? Because St. Peter's is made up of multiple communities. It's almost working like a cathedral that is covering the whole city setup. So in one of the small groups we had started, we had put in the youth, the women, the men, adults, and young together. And in the process of our meeting, we discovered that the men were dominating the discussions. So after we looked at that critically, then we noticed that within the setup of that community, they were very strong about the authority of a man and how a man cannot be criticized. So in that setting, we decided for a short period of time to allow the men to meet on their own in their small groups as men and the women and then the youth. But also we have seen that in other settings of the parish, the youth, the women, and the men meet together and they debate in a very healthy way. And it doesn't affect their relationships. Actually, it enhances a relationship. There's one small group where there was the, the father and the son in the same group uh, doing a Bible study. And their debate was very interesting because they would literally go into a serious debate and people would just be watching, wow, this is father and son. But their relationship was getting healthy and healthy. And so... When you lead small groups as well, you need to pay attention uh, to the cultural dynamics that are there. So for now, that's what I can say. And then I'll come back to the large and the small parishes. Brooke, you can pick it up from me. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think every small group is going to look different just based on who's in it. 
the personalities, the needs, you know, and, and actually it's funny because as Father Robert talked, my, I, my mind kind of was going with him. And all of a sudden I saw the picture of all the small groups I did during COVID and they were on Zoom. Okay, now that I would never in a million years have chosen to do small groups on Zoom. Oh my goodness, it was such a godsend. You know, that I met, I probably did, um, I've probably done eight different Bible studies through Zoom. And now I'm doing small group Bible study with people on Zoom and having an amazing connection and prayer time with these people that I could have never anticipated. So I think whether it's different cultures of the way they communicate, or, um, you know, the way that they choose to do meals or not do meals or meet at the church or meet in a home or meet at a Starbucks. You know, if it's an executive group of men that are meeting together or women, um, I think it's always going to be different. But I think that the goal is always the same. You know, how do we connect with the Lord? How do we connect with each other? How do we help each other to faithfully walk out this Christian faith? And I think also in the larger parishes, so you need to identify a team and a focal point person to oversee the management of the groups, to analyze their dynamics and their rates of growth and how they move as well. Whereas in the smaller parishes, you definitely will have very few small groups, but of always there must be a volunteer team that can oversee uh, these groups. And the smaller parishes as well uh, are good, but we always have to watch out from the, the, the era that they become a closed club that no one from outside can enter in. That's also interesting. Another thing that I'm hearing, different ways to approach small groups, is that you may have some contexts in which people, if they they need to feel entirely free, it's a sort of come on y'all join. We'll, you know, we'll have coffee. We'll sit around in our yoga pants and we'll talk about the Bible and build real community and pray for one another. And there may be other contexts in which to say, um, look, if you want to really, if you want to really dig in here, maybe if you want to get married here, and depending on where you are, there may be certain structures set up so that small groups are more or less a requirement for really being part of the community, how have each of you found that requiring a small group versus making one completely optional has worked or not worked where you are? Well, we have never required, um, you know, that just hasn't been a part of any of the churches that we've been at, but we have invited people to be part of small groups. And we've set some pretty audacious goals that we have met and surpassed. And we have seen the church thrive because of that. And I think what um, I have seen when we invited people in to do that is that all of a sudden they, they could be part of something that was bigger than themselves. It was being part of it. And so I've only seen the, the invitation part. I haven't really seen the mandatory so often. And, and I'm going to be thinking on that, Father Robert, because I mean, that in, in Amber, I think that was a good reflective listening of, huh, you know, the marriage and the baptism and, and things like that. So often those fall into formal classes and, um, but not so much small group and, and, and maybe some small group derives out of it, but, um, but I haven't seen that in the same context. 
partly maybe Amber uh, to add on to that one. Yeah, to add on to that one, one of the experiences we have had is that among the difficulties of forming and sustaining small groups is that in an Anglican setup that has been existing for some time, what we have noticed is that most of the members who have been in church for a long time, when you open up small groups, they're a little bit hesitant to join the small groups. But the members who join the church in the process of the evangelism, they seem to thrive in the small groups and just love them. So you end up sometimes to find that uh, 80% of the small groups are members who have joined the church in the past three to five years. Those who have been there for 30, 20 years, some of them feel like, is it necessary for me to be there to do that? So in a way to, to get them to just have a feel of what this small group really is about. Uh, hence, I think we had to do some of those initiatives to say membership has to come through this. What's the first place that each of you would point people? They say, I'm ready to revitalize or start a small group ministry in my context. Where is the first place that you would tell them to go? If I would point people in your context, I think there is a website that we have been working with, with the Episcopal Church. And then from there, I think you can link up with uh, Stephanie Spellers. I think she's a canon in the office of the bishop, uh, your, your primate. I think she would be able to help further from there. That would be a big help. Well, for me, I mean, it's easy. Obviously, this is what we do. We do small group curriculum. And so I would obviously send people to Bible study media. We have tons of resources from blogs to training videos to our curriculum, um, all at, at BibleStudyMedia.com. That's my life's work. That's, <laughs> that's my ministry. Well said. And definitely um, we will allow you some advertising space for Bible Study Media on the episode today, for sure. You guys do a lot of great work. Thank you both so much for being here today with me. It's been valuable. This has been a rich conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. Again, you can find links to those resources Father Robert and Brooke mentioned in our show notes today. Coming up in two weeks, our summer intern, William Hargrave, will delight us with a sermon from St. John Chrysostom that might help us with back-to-school anxiety and give us a reality check about what educating our children is really for. Thanks for tuning into the Living Church Podcast. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been great to be with you. Peace. Peace.